Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to episode 78 of the Ghost Lights podcast. This week, we sat down with Matthew Schleif, lighting tech guru and all-around nice guy. Had a great conversation ranging from things like breakfast pizza, what we look for as a lighting designer this first time we walk into a new space, to committing 100% to whatever drives you or lights your fire. Now, damn. Give us war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. This is Sam Gilstrap. We are back again to try and record episode 78 of the Ghost Lights podcast. This is this is go at it number three tonight. Twice because Sam didn't know how to talk and once because technology stabbed us in the back. And Matthew Schleif, our guest, has his finger in the air. Do you want to have something to add there, tech guy? No, I was holding up fingers because you said twice, so I held up two, and then you said once, and I held up one. Oh, nice, nice. I do that, too. I like to I like to make sure we've got the numbers down. Yeah, I agree. I'm also one of those people, like, when I'm in a group of people and we're talking about somebody and they, they throw a name out, like, I'm supposed to know that person. That's like, mean. the story won't matter if you don't know who this person is. And I'm always the guy that goes, like, oh, Jake, Jake um, Hard... Flinger, that guy from North <laughs> Texas, yeah, that guy, he's an asshole. Like I always, whoever you throw out to me, they're an asshole. Like, oh no, total jerk. Never looks at you when he talks. And he and and I don't know if you know this about Jake Hardflinger. Uh-huh. He always needs Tic Tacs. And he, he always has them in his pocket, and he never uses them. Interesting. Yeah. I love Tic Tacs. I love white Tic Tacs. I also it's kind of problematic. when I can. Uh, uh, remember a person's name and I tell a story, uh, I, I have a bad habit of thinking that everybody I'm talking to knows who that person is. So I naturally yeah. assume I'll, I'll be far into a story before I look around and realize that nobody has any clue who I'm talking it's about. It's one of my favorite things. I've been at, I was at the Henry's once and they were talking about somebody that was about to present. And they, were, they kept talking to me because they were under, under the impression that I had worked with this person. And I can't remember their name now. They have since left the, the state. Mm-hmm. This was like seven Henry Award shows ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I go like, oh, yeah, her? Mean. <gasps> Terribly mean. Wow. Talks behind, took behind my back the entire weekend we were together. And they all thought that we had this like thing, and I was just being a jerk because I don't know this person. Like you, you I don't know this person. It's not going to help me understand the story. And then it came out like a month later that they were really mean to this particular person. They were like, "Oh my God, Sam, you were so right. She was terrible to me." I'm like, "Told you." <laughs> who Who are we talking about again? <laughs> Wait, have, have you ever when, considered swap, like switching that up, and just saying everyone you don't know is awesome? awesome? Yeah. Yeah, no, I've definitely done that. It's de- but it's not nearly as funny for me. For you. <laughs> yeah. For you. Yeah. There it is right yeah. there. Yeah. You know it's, that Sam Gilstrap guy? Yeah. Super mean. He's Super mean. So wonderful. I hear he's really condescending. Wait he does this thing when he gets Are we doing the angry one or are we doing the happy one? We can do well, it all. I think I think we we tried both and I, I, yeah. I, I think tend to have liked your answer better. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
And I, I, it's like they were all talking about me as if I'm not in the room or involved in the conversation. Well, I, to, to that end, uh, I'm, I'm somewhat new to Colorado, or at least I still say I'm new to Colorado because I've only been here uh, three years, um, although I've been working here for six. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> the first few years, people <laughs> would talk about the Henrys, and I, and I had no idea what it was. Just completely lost on it. And then they were like, oh, it, you know, it's an awards thing. And I went, oh, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just sort of let it at yep. that. And oh. I'm not even trying to be mean. I yeah. can see the value in it. I really can see the value in it. The value in the um, Henrys. In the, in the yeah. Henrys. Yet, yet, I hate awards things yeah. like that. I mean, because they get, they become diluted. Mm-hmm. Like the more you do it, the less it means. I uh I can't wait till I get a Henry. There's still that child in me that really wants of course. one really badly. Cuz then cuz then but now I'll never get one. Yeah, but I'll never get one. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying oh, I'll never get one cuz oh, I said this. Oh, now. well I mean, I'm <laughs> in the same boat. I'm in the same mindset because like I just I've 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 thought of, I thought about it for too long early in my career that now it's it's like one of the, like it's it's not gonna happen so just dial it back but there's still the kid in me it's definitely a fun time yeah. it's a like when when we could do it in person it was it was a joy to be invited mm-hmm. I think the last time I was invited I was you know, told to present and I came up on stage with a glass of whiskey and sunglasses because I looked I was looking like the guy me and Dan were just talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hear Sam Gilstrap. He's really condescending. <laughs> Do you remember when he came to the Henry's? He wore his sunglasses inside. Like, what are we, you're in the Pace Center, you idiot. Get out of here. It's so you can see your visions at night. So oh, you can track them. That's right. You're right. so... See? Because they're in Technicolor, baby. This is all 3D. We're here. This is episode 78 of the Ghost Lights Podcast. Let's give this a fourth try. <laughs> no, all of that's staying in. Yeah, I know. That, that, could, that could totally stay in. So... In the, over the course of our conversations throughout this evening, we talked about how you got into the tech side of mm-hmm. theater. It started out as you were an actor, a performer, you played sports, but you were really kind of pulled in this direction. And then as you were working on it in high school, college, right, mm-hmm. it's when you started to find your your footing behind in the backstage area. Mm-hmm. What What were some of the things about the tech side of the work that made you feel comfortable, that made you feel at ease? Oh, you know, um, so I guess it started when I was building sets. Like my freshman, my first year in college, I was building sets. And and my TD came up to me, the faculty member TD came up and said, you know, you're really quite good at this. Uh, would you like a job in the shop as uh, a TA, a technical assistant? Um, and the TAs, you know, I thought they were super cool. Like they were the ones teaching me how to build the platforms and how to do the walls and all that kind of stuff. And I said, yeah, of course, I would mm-hmm. love to do that. So then I did that for sophomore, junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I loved teaching it, and I got really good at building things and got okay at painting things. Um, oddly, I never took a, a outside of one sculpture class in uh, grad school, uh, I never once took a formalized art class in my life. Wow. Like, I never took a drawing class. I never took a painting class. In, nothing like that. <laughs> Every part of art... 
uh, I have sort of taught myself. Hmm. Um, outside of art history, I took a couple of those in college. And of course, I love just going to museums. And um, I'm a, that's, I was about to say, I'm a visual learner, hmm. which is really kind of dumb to say because a lot of people are. Um, I guess, dumb. I guess, no, I guess what it is is that, you know, earlier when I said I don't remember names very well, yeah. I may not remember the name, but I can remember something from when I was a a day when I was 26 years old and literally every single thing I did in that day and every person I looked at and every single thing, I remember all of that, who they are, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, but I know the aesthetics Mm -hmm. of my world and that's what I pay attention to a lot. Yeah. Um, I like shoes. Ooh, I like how that was a long way to get to, to shoes. And yeah, so yeah, now yeah, I immediately yeah. looked at his feet. Yeah, yeah, we got yeah. Some, uh, we got some uh, red, pink, uh, more pink, I guess. That is red. Those are They've been in the wash, though. Uh, they're just older. <laughs> but sure, yeah. They're New Balance sneaks. Yeah. What's your favorite sneaker? Uh, the New Balance 574. The New Balance 574? 574. It's their fashion line. Oh. Yeah, it's okay. really nice. They got That's a lot. not the one that Ryan Gosling throws off the balcony in uh, Crazy Stupid Love or whatever. It could be, but Steve I don't Carell. know. No. Yeah, I don't remember. Ryan Gosling, he's the attractive guy, oh, isn't he's he? he's super attractive. He doesn't eat his cereal, but he's super attractive. Ryan Gosling. Oh, he's in the notebook. He is in the notebook. Oh my yes, God. Yes. Okay. That rain seed? That's, Stop it. Rachel awful. McAdams, get out of the way. It should be me in his arms. <laughs> I just want to be held by Ryan Gosling. Is that so wrong? Yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, I guess to just also kind of round it out is that I found that in the. I, Specifically in lighting, I sort of fell in love with creating the environment that the that the characters get to live in, and and I love creating that environment that they get to live in. Mm. Um, it, something as simple as just a cup being slightly further over, you know. Usually, I'm not that anal retentive about something like that. I like the actors to feel like it is their world to interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the characters are a part of that. So I'm usually not a stickler for like a little zhuzh of furniture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the overall feel and essence of the world that they live in, um, I, I really enjoy doing that side of theater. Um, and, and, and I guess I got pretty good at it. So... Yeah, so that's how I got there. Uh, when you talk about creating the world, yeah, are you the vast majority of the time given carte blanche at creating that world? What is your what do the parameters look like to that world creation for you? Uh, my favorite part of doing, and I should also say that I love doing uh, live theater. Um, having seen the film process uh, with major films and also with like low budget films. I don't much enjoy the f- that as much the film world. I, I much prefer uh, a one-off arc play to see it all in its entirety at once. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I enjoy that part of live theater. Um, so with that being said, um, ultimately I am subservient to the director. That is, I mean, they. It is their vision. It's their vision of what a show should be. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, and and the best directors that I've worked with have inspired me 
to create something that works for the world of these characters. And it turns out to be what they want. Um, and so, yes, in a way, mm -hmm. they trust me to do it, but their inspiration for me doing it uh, was so strong that I really had, it wasn't hard for me to come up with what the set would be or how the lights would function or mm. interact with the set. Mm. Um, the shows that I think are less successful because, you know, I'm, I still do very successful shows and less successful shows. And I mean, that's yeah. just the reality yeah. of our world. Yeah. Um, I think the shows that are less successful are the ones where we we're not all wholly on board with the design concept or maybe the director's not wholly sure what the design concept is, or maybe the director th keeps thinking that it's one thing, mm -hmm. but it's not actually that. So they're constantly trying to change it all the time and add to it and add to it and add to it to where then you've lost what it was. And, and then you're like, ah, uh, and it just turns into a little bit. Ah, so yes. is it important for you then that if you were to have your druthers, the director has a has a hard and fast vision that they are pulling from at the start of rehearsals, the week before tech. I I'm okay with uh, working the lunch before opening night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with directors wanting to change their minds. I re I really am. Um, I think the communication needs to happen in a in a timely manner. Mm -hmm. You know, for me to effectively give you something of a quality product, uh, if if we need to make um, changes. But I guess what it is is that it's really just about communication and constantly staying in communication. And the shows again that are the that I've worked on that are the most successful, I have been in communication with the director constantly mm -hmm. through the process and to where nothing surprises us either direction meaning i may have an idea that i propose to them and and i'm never really hurt if they don't want to do it right or or if they do want to do it then huzzah and we try it and, and we go from there mm -hmm. um if we're in communication enough it's we're not going to surprise anybody and and that's that's, I think, kind of crucial to a good process absolutely, uh, and, and a good show. I think when you're surprising people and you're like, oh, crap, now we have to do that, then you're like, then people start getting butt hurt and they're like, ah, oh, I wish they had told me. And mm -hmm. that's when you complain when you leave. You know, like sometimes when you leave theater and you have those little bitch sessions and you're like, wah, 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 yes. right? I love leaving shows where I'm not bitching. Those are great shows, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. wow, this is so much fun to do. Yeah. I mean... Isn't it great when you just show up, rehearse, do your job, and then go home? Like, and not have like some axe to grind? Yeah. I, and, I love doing that, and I know I'm not the best at doing that. <laughs> and our last show, uh, Land of Milk and Honey, yeah, with the Catamounts... Yeah, and you fought all the time. No. <laughs> uh, I think the thing... What's funny about that is that... I never had it. All of my bitch sessions had nothing to do with our show. Mm -hmm. They were just these things that happened to us, like the generator getting stolen. Well, like while the lights are on. Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? <laughs> and just other things that just sort of came up <laughs> that had nothing to do with the artistic integrity of the show. <laughs>
<laughs> That's my favorite thing. How heavy was that thing? It weighed at least 50 pounds. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the story about that is like one of our actors had left something at the theater, at the space during Land of Milk and Honey is coming back and sees somebody like hauling a briefcase at a full dead on sprint down the street, down Wads there. And then she she comes back to the theater and everything's dark. So and from our I pers- laugh because that's terrible. It was it was uh, not not very cost effective. But, but from our perspective, the way it happened to us is that we were doing design tech notes after all the actors left, yeah. and we're sitting in this Just and all the, about the actors you don't you don't like no, and and we're doing design tech notes and all the lights are on because we wanted to leave the generator going so that we could see in a building that had no electricity. That makes sense. And all of a sudden, in the middle of design tech notes, the lights went out, mm-hmm. and so I walk over to the window to see if I can hear the generator outside the window, and I could. Right. And so I'm like, oh, well, the generator's still going. That's strange. So I walk outside. And by the time I get all the way around, it's just not there. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Our generator got stolen. I look and there's no cars. There's nothing. There's nobody around. I'm like, huh? My favorite. (laughs) There's another favorite part to this whole story is so that, like, that later that next night of rehearsal, we were, we got done with the rehearsal. And we're we just got done with notes and people are like getting dressed and leaving and the and the power goes out again and Schlei from the top of the stairs oh, God. barrels down the stairs and out the front door to make sure that it was still there. Well still there. It was still there, yes. It just it would just it ran out of juice. <laughs> well, I got a bike chain and lock and yeah. locked that thing up because yeah, it, was... it was not about to have that happen. No, again. definitely not. But it was still <laughs> I mean I it, it's okay to laugh at these things now. Yeah, now of that, that we're now. past now. No, now. but I have this uh, this vision in my mind now, based off of that, that the person didn't turn it off first. He no. unplugged it yes. and then ran away with it on. Yes. So he's yes. just run. He's just running yeah. down the street with this thing as loud as possible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what was so funny. I mean, because I I heard it, so I know it was still going. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, he but needed to was... power his getaway. But I'm bump. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> should we get should we get really Missouri Downs in here again to help me with jokes? I'm not good. Uh, no, actually, you took his advice because that was less than a 15 minute joke. Oh, stop it, Dan! At least my tech worked. <laughs> <laughs> Made him pout. So you're talking about communication. We're yeah, backtracking yeah. here. That being crucial to your job going smoothly. Mm-hmm. Have you had the opportunity to create a show on your own as director and lighting designer? Yeah, I've I, I've had a couple uh, of those. Um, one, I will openly say that I am not a director. I see things in a directorial way, mm-hmm. but you, I don't think that I I don't do not have a skill set to guide actors. No. Uh, so I'll just put that out there. Mm. And I think most everybody that works with me is fully aware of that. Mm. Um, Because I'm like, just stand there. I don't care what your motivation is. Just walk over and stand there. That's where the light is. No, I'm kidding. Um, I did a show um, back when I was in Houston at uh, Rice University. It was performed at at the theater that I worked at at Rice University. It was called Synesthesia. Mm. Um, It was essentially rock lighting to 
classical music. And I say classical music, uh, n- nothing like Beethoven or Bach. It mm-hmm. is a group called Two Star Symphony. I saw them. They did an original... Sounds like a Yelp review. Oh, no, no, they're much better than just two stars. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, they're, they're a small uh, four-piece and um, two violins, a cello, and a viola. Yes. Uh, two violins, a cello, and a viola. Yeah. And, uh, and I saw them do an original score to the silent film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Uh, which is an old 1930s German expressionism film. It's wackadoo. Wow. Uh, a lot of fun. And so, and what I noticed was they were playing it live, and I'm watching this film, and, and I noticed they didn't have any music stands. And, and they were just in the dark. And I was like, that is awesome. And the way that they learn their music uh, with each other is very much like a rock band in the sense that they just learn the songs and learn the part that they're going to play. But none of it is actually like sheet music or Mm -hmm. anything. And so to call it uh, classical music isn't necessarily the right thing. They play classical instruments, Mm -hmm. um, but they do their own music. And, And what I became fascinated with is that I can light them in any way. Um, as a lighting designer, or the lighting designer part of me, the bane of my existence in doing musicals are music stand lights. I hate them. I hate them. I cannot make them go away. They're just atrocious. Um, but that's... <laughs> anyway. Uh, and I do the best I can, and I let it go as much as I can. But this group... They don't need music stand lights because they don't even have music stands. Mm -hmm. So I can then light them however I want. And so I met with them and I started talking with them and I became friends with them. And we did a show where I brought in tons of mover lights and all kinds of basically rock and roll lighting and did 10 of their pieces. And I did a lighting design for 10 of their pieces. And it was a free concert to the community. That's great. Uh, It was sold out both nights, um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and we ended up doing a Synesthesia 2 electric boogaloo. Ah, uh, um, <laughs> I love that. The reason it was called Synesthesia is because I also was kind of fascinated by what Anesthesia? that is. Synesthesia. Do you know what that is? No. It is uh, a, a brain, it, it is a, a, um, a, I don't want to call it a disorder, but it is when uh, synapses, synapses in your brain fire for different reasons, meaning you taste the color blue. Mm. Meaning if your eyes see blue, it causes a taste in your mouth or the memory of a taste. Mm. Or if you hear a particular note, you see a color. Um, and, and so things are firing in strange ways and making connections mm. in strange ways. Uh, and the reason that I called it synesthesia is because two of the songs that we did, I lit live and they composed it live. So That's it cool. was abstract improvisational music mm-hmm. and at the same time I was improvising the lights and we were both responding to each other in a in a different way. Even though that's not exactly what synesthesia is. But yeah. anyway, it just thought it was fun. That sound that sounds like an amazing experience. This I mean talk about communication. Like that's Yeah. That is that is some pot, symbiotic relationship as it as it were. I mean to feel out what you're going to do lighting wise as, and have that, I'm sure be infused by also what you're listening to mm-hmm. yeah. and them playing what they're seeing. That's exactly right. That's, that's beautiful. 
It was a lot of fun. It was very difficult and kind of nerve wracking. I can't imagine. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I could barely, I can barely walk, chew bubblegum, and host a podcast at the same time. Wow! Yeah, it's 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 hard to do those three, and that doesn't involve like having f- how many? How sorry? How big is this orchestra? It, it was at the so there was six two piece, it was four, four piece. piece, but but for this it was actually an eight piece because they expanded to two star orchestra, which added four more members. So there okay. were eight. There were two percussionists, mm-hmm. uh, a clarinet a bass, and then the four of them. Yeah, trying to choreograph something like that on the fly with more than just one person to worry about yourself seems overwhelming. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that both sides of us were trained enough to know their part, Mm. but... And so because you know what you're contributing, I think it's a little bit easier because you don't have to be distracted by the things that you're not contributing. Hmm. You know what I mean? No, totally. Like if you do... So I talk with my students a lot uh, about um, I need them to be the best cog that they can be. You are nothing but a cog in a machine. And and while it sounds bad, yeah, yeah. you know, to say that someone's nothing but a cog in a machine, the artwork is the machine, and your your cog is very mm-hmm. crucial. Yeah. It's really important that you fulfill the job of that cog. Yeah. And and I like to think of theater and the performing arts as uh, a singular work of art where you only have a brush that can do blue paints and Mm. you only have a brush that can do red paints, but we have to make one painting Mm -hmm. together. Um, And that's, and so it, it, so your part really is important in that. Um, Where do you teach again? Oh, I teach at Colorado Mesa University in Grand Junction, Colorado. Well, thanks for making the trek out here. Oh yeah. I had to get past the mudslides. That's, that's cool. Climate change. That's right. That's what, that's what my boots are for. (laughs) Boots, I'm yeah. Trek it, yeah. No. Just, he's just—he's huffing. He's got his backpack and his uh, and a koozie for his beard. I he's do a, have a koozie for my beard. It's a meow wolf koozie. I, I I just love a man that comes prepared for a weekend or a weekday. I, as it were. I have this koozie, and this koozie is very important because it is the last of my neoprene koozies. Which, for those people who are not koozie aficionados, a neoprene koozie is superior to all other koozies. Whoa, have you had a metal koozie from... I, I have. It, oh. Yes. So you say yeah, the neoprene's better. Yes. Keeps a beer colder? Or no. A, no. So What the, makes it good? Yeah. Ah, got it. It can fit in my pocket. Uh, I can uh, use it pretty much anywhere, and it keeps things colder than just the foam ones. The metal ones still have a volume. They take up space. That's no fun. Well, I've definitely stopped paying attention. I could put it in my pocket. I can put lots of things in my pocket. doesn't make it elite. It most certainly does. I mean, the ability to have it is at any time. you want. Well, if you've got yeah. a backpack, you don't need to put it in your pocket now, do you? Uh, I, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Check and mate. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I lost. We were talking about <laughs> teaching. Oh yeah, we and were. not 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 the most special of koozies, which apparently is neoprene. Not anymore. Scoff, eye roll. Yeah, <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. That's right. You'll I'm learn. still on board with you. I like. I like Thank that. You. Oh, That's whatever, good. Dan. You know, you've been against me since your tech went down. Now pout. For Only me. because you keep calling me out. I do. I do. 
Anyway, yeah. teaching. What about when it? you talked about trying to get them to be the best cog they can be? Mm-hmm. I think you had said that maybe it's not the nicest thing to say. I think I agree with you to an, an extent as a football coach. Um, and as a guy that's coached a lot of different sports and has been a teacher, mm-hmm. you need – there is some type of fitting in that should happen mm-hmm. for everyone involved, an understanding of role, expectation, their own abilities mm-hmm. in order to get to where the group is trying to be steered. When you're working on a project like – a say putting on a show for example there are responsibilities roles that are open that's why we audition and we ask on the sheet will you accept any role because we're looking to see who are willing to fill these things in and obviously Mm -hmm. for someone on the tech side that's going to be different you're Mm -hmm. applying for a specific job Mm -hmm. based on your understanding of the skills Mm -hmm. so on and so forth but finding a way to fit into those things in order to create a piece of art or just put on an art that's already been, I guess, written um, if we're not necessarily creating it. But mm-hmm. anyway, I'm rambling. It's yeah, all a creation. But it's there is something to that idea, being a cog in the machine. There's st- you're still allowed your individual individuality in the process of creating art. You just have a specific slot to fill. Yeah. 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 I mean, everybody has their own artistry that they bring to their part Mm -hmm. um i'm i'm not going to be so you know controlling and saying you have to do it this way from a stage management perspective right you you need to do your blocking notes in this particular way now i mean ultimately it doesn't really matter how you do it so long as when the director needs to know where a person's supposed to be you have that information Yeah, yeah right whatever that may be um and and the same thing with design designers. I think that you know, obviously, you have to you do have to turn in certain things by a certain date. You know, you do have to kind of stay ahead. You do have to kind of keep your eye on the prize the whole time, mm-hmm. make sure things are working. Um, and and I would say there are ways that are better than others to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone has their own individuality uh, within it. Uh, you know, another way of thinking of it too is to think of like those open face uh, watches where you see all the cogs yes, yes, yes. going through. And then I think it's in a, in a way to think of it that makes it a little bit more palatable too, because you actually get to see the importance of that cog within the watch face and, and how it contributes to everything functioning smoothly and well. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I bet most of the people that listen to this, they are theater people uh, to some extent, so they um, already know a lot of this. Um, but I will say for a vast majority of audiences that um, come to see shows, they don't know a lot of the work that went into that show, mm-hmm. right? They don't know how many hours were put into it. They don't fully get all of it. Yeah. Um, especially even shows that seem like there's a lot of improvisation in it. Mm-hmm. Um, when in fact that improvisation has been very specifically rehearsed yeah. and, and is guided. Um, unless of course it truly is an improv show, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean. But in, but in those cases, it's like, that's still, a we're problem. working the Herald 
there are still practiced technique over the course of years, knowing how to knowing how to really say as yes and how that is supposed to maneuver. There are still roles and responsibilities in with, within that group. Yeah. So yeah, we're seeing an improv show, and all I did was say, "You're at a Walmart," and they did this whole scene. But there's there's stuff they've worked. Yeah. Ad nauseum, just playing games and games and games, building up skill sets to be able to create anything out of that. Mm-hmm. When your work as a lighting designer, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that's really cool, and I'm glad I have you on here, mm-hmm. is I want to just kind of ask you, what are some of the things that you take into account when you walk into a new theater? And like, uh, like, are we first like first time in a yeah, space? Yeah, so like we're wa- so we walk. Did you get to see the Elaine Wolf Theater today? Pretty, I didn't. I haven't seen the theater oh, it's here. It's no. pretty standard proscenium, but it's got an elevated stage. Bowls, you know, bowl soups up. There's a row above that where people can sit, but there's also places to lights. And above that, right above the stage, they can hang stuff. Like, like balcony are, rails, is that? What, okay, got it. Cool. What are what are the like? Yeah, what are the types of things that you are? You're there is track this of? fantastic meme that I saw during the pandemic, and it was so funny. And I emailed it out to all of my lighting design students instantly, and it was like a picture of some people from the 1940s, like a black and white photo of people from the 1940s all looking up into the sky. And so the the vantage point of the camera is looking down from the sky. And the meme, of course, said lighting designers when they walk into a concert or or something like that, which is so funny because like you walk in the door and every person that works in the lighting industry just does this. Uh, and yeah. for those of you on this podcast, I'm looking up into the air at the ceiling and just staring around. Yeah. And that's what we do is that yeah. we assess what fixtures are up there, where they're located, how they're pointed, like what is this going to do? What, how can you do this? And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a puzzle that we can put together and understand it. Um, when I walk into a new vin, well, okay, sorry. I'm going to back up one other thing too. The first time you do a light design in a new venue is always a series of failures. (laughs) No matter how much drafting you look at, no matter how much photometrics you want to get into, right? You still do not know what it's going to look like until the day that you turn on the lights and you start looking at it with the lights on and the board and you go, oh... Oh, oh, that's that's not going to work at all. <laughs> yeah, the first thing you have to do in a new venue is find the production manager and say, "What do I need to know?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but even in the process of doing that, you really won't know it until you turn the board on and you actually start making the lights fire, like focus day, yeah. you know. And the, and they're like, "Okay, let's do a channel check just so you can see." And they're going to be all over the place. But in that process of that channel check, you go, "Oh, I really don't need those five lights at all." Huh. Well, maybe we'll just move those. Yeah. <laughs> I'll find another place for nice. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, you need inventory lists and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it's so getting past that first time at a new venue, uh, after the first time, I'm usually good to go. Mm-hmm. I, I know what I can do within that space. Uh, I also like pushing the boundaries of what I'm allowed to do. Uh, as a designer, I will always ask for the most expensive, the most everything I could ever ask for. It is the technical director slash the production manager's job to tell me no. 
And if you don't tell me no, I'm fully on board with getting it. Yeah. Like I fully expect that it is occurring. Um, and But that's actually kind of a good thing because I want it to be the best it can be. I want it to be this amazing show, whether that's from a spectacle or whether that really is just nuanced and subtle, you know, and, and, and it's important uh, to, to push for those kinds of things. So anyway, after that first time, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe now we can think of doing lights in this way. And I'm much better at it uh, the second time around or the third time around in doing and in working in a particular venue. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I break down my lighting into four categories, of course. I have actor lighting. Uh, I have ambience. Um, I have uh, what I call architectural lighting because I think it is important for us to light the set uh, almost as much as it is the actors. Um, and then the uh, th- the fourth is just what I call CYA lights, um, which cover your ass. You mm. know, you put up a lot of others that give you options, mm. so that you don't have to wait. Because if you get into a tech process and you decide, oh, I do want a light here, and you want to add a light, well, I could have added like the rest of the inventory and hung it and done something with it. And now when the director goes, Hey, do we have a light over here? You're like, Oh, how about this one? Oh yeah, that's great. And you're like, sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have to hang another light or, and, and then wait till tomorrow <laughs> you know, for, for the next request. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice. I mean, it's just, it's already there. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I pretty much, if you have an inventory of lights, it's in the air. Nice. <laughs> somewhere i know it sucks what is what is that adjustment period like when you stepped into say a barn oh. which is not designed for putting on a show yeah what is that adjustment like on the fly of like where am i putting stuff how do i do this so when amanda and i first started talking my first question well sorry my first question always uh, to a director is when is this play like what's my schedule? Yeah. Uh, second question was, does it have electricity do, mm. in the building? And she said, no. And I went, Oh, which completely changes everything. It's oh, like, no, I'm booked. Uh, <laughs> no, well, not, not even yeah, that. It just sets up a new challenge. I'm like, how am I going to light this? Yeah. What are we going to use? Talk about pushing um, the boundaries. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we used a lot of fire, which actually made me happy because I do love fire. I think it's beautiful. That's another good smell. Oh, when you when you put out a match, yes, I love that a match going out. Yeah. I was going to say kerosene, not so much. No, no, definitely no. not. No, yeah, no. no. Uh, but anyway, we used fire in that. So napalm in, in, in that... the morning—that's always a good smell. <laughs> Wait, sorry. <laughs> Let's go surfing. Keep talking. Uh, in that in that first question uh, to her, like, does it have electricity? And then you're asking, like, how do how do I go into that space? When I visited the space was when I knew what we were doing Mm. for the lighting. Just walking in, literally, I said, oh, okay, It's, it's, it's done. I know exactly what I'm doing. I can't light the actors for this show. I can't do it. There are, there, you're walking too far. There, the lights are going to be too spread out. Power will be very difficult to run in this particular way. Most of it's going to take place here. And then on top of that, there's no point in trying to light the actors as if they're doing a theatrical presentation because 
what Amanda and I love about doing shows with catamounts is that we're not necessarily doing theater where people are sitting facing one direction. They know that lights will hit them. They they wear these costumes and the sets do this and da 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 and that's theater and we're all safe in our little thing, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not the kind of theater that she and I like making. So then why would we want to present lighting that is in that vein? Do you know what I mean? Mm. So then when we, when we ended up, basically I just lit the canopy. Um, yes, I ended up throwing one light for actor, or sorry, technically two lights for actors. Um, but it was just huge. It was like a huge area. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really more area lighting yeah. than it was actor. Technically, there was three because you gave your boys some lanterns. And I look oh, good. I look good we had, at camp lights. Yeah, maybe? and then we had battery-powered <laughs> camp lights and, and all kinds of stuff. And, yes, yeah, so I, I put that into the world of practicals. Yes. So there's lots of practicals. practicals. Did you ask for, like, four generators or did you just come in and be like, okay, we're just going to have four lights for this show? So it, so Amanda and I started off wanting and ordering uh, a solar-powered, um, like a, an industrial uh, LiPo battery generator that was not gas-powered. It was like you charge mm. it, mm-hmm. right? And it carries a charge. And it, was, it would do 1,200 watts. Um, per t- 1200 watts per hour. Um, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and so we were excited about that. It, it limited significantly how many LEDs I could use. I actually, there was very little data on how many hours you get <laughs> of 1200 watts per hour. Is it just one? <laughs> um, I know. Uh, but then once we ordered it, you know, she got the solar panels in and then the battery just wasn't showing up and it didn't show up in time for the show. And oh, so shit. we went to Lowe's and I, we got a gas powered generator and it was, a, it's a quiet version. Uh, it saved her a ton of money. I mean, it was literally a third of the cost of this other thing. And um, so it saved her a lot. It, it saved the, the company a lot of money. Mm. Uh, she sent the other thing back and canceled that order. Um, we wanted to do it because we wanted to be green. And yeah. it's also totally silent. Like, you can't hear it at all. Yeah. Uh, there is no sound to be made. Uh, this gas-powered one, while it's quiet, it needs to be put around the corner. You know what I mean? It's mm. like, so, did that? Yeah. yeah. And, and I knew their budget, and I knew how much I w- many lights I was bringing based on the original thing. And even though I added some lights later on, and we had some sound uh, added into it, the generator that we got could do 1,600 watts um, output. So. I, yeah, I asked because you said you you always come in and you ask for as much as, oh, as, as, much as you possibly as can. can. And I yeah. did see one of the previews of this show. Yeah, and I was just, so I, I have the light. Oh, cool. the, the design in my head, and I'm curious how much of the design you specifically said this is exactly what I want, or was it based on how much power you were able to bring into the space? So much of it was. So in a way, I was kind of more than the designer. I sort of had to be my own master electrician. So when I wear multiple hats, 
and I'm my own TD or I'm my own master electrician, I'm already arguing with myself so I don't ask anything because <laughs> I, I know what's real and what isn't. Uh, if I am only a designer and other people, I'm like sending in my designs and talking with directors, that's usually what I ask for a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all of my designs. <laughs> so <laughs> when I was working at Texas Tech... <laughs> This is funny. You were a Red Raider, too? I was a Red Raider, too. I taught there for five years. Uh, The technical director, I had two technical directors. One of them lives in Denver now. His name is Jared Canada. He works for George Lacey Sales. Uh, He's really wonderful. Um, And and then the other one is Jared Roberts, who is still currently at uh, Texas Tech. Both of those technical directors. Every single time I turned in a scenic design, I would go have my green light meeting with them, and I was over budget by like 200%. And I'm like, ah, yes, we have to cut back. How do we maintain the integrity? Just just for a third of the cost. Is is that your go to uh, guilt? Yeah. How do I keep the integrity? But you know, a TD's, (laughs) uh, uh, yeah, a TD's go to is like, well, just cut that thing. No, no, you can't just cut that thing. Yeah. Like that, thing, it's like that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> defeats the purpose. We need the board to operate the show, sir. No, well, I mean, even if it was something like James and the Giant Peach, they'd be like, "Well, just cut the peach." Whoa. Well, then, what's the rest of the set? Can we cut James in? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, just wait till Texas Tech joins the SEC, and then you'll get that money. You'll get oh, that green line. Money. I hope they never do that. Oh no, it's. Oh, is it going, is going? I mean, Texas yeah. and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12 at the end of 2025. This mm-hmm. just dropped, so mm-hmm. I'm losing a lot of my ghosty audience right now. Oh, but they're gonna they're gonna they're leaving because their um, their TV contract expires. And just to confirm, that's the Super Energetic Conference. Is that yes, yeah, Super. It's also the it. Southern. I don't know Southern South, Southeastern. S- South Southeastern? Yeah. Southeastern. That's right. Southeastern Conference. <laughs> I don't know. I like super energetic. You, you, yeah. you set him super up energetic. to be able to do it. <laughs> super energetic is much better. We've been we've been playing with um, abbreviations while we've been looking at tech issues. What's BBYO again? Uh, uh, that is uh, big big bad yo. Yeah, big, big bad yo. yo. Big bad yo. Big or big Bob yo. Something like that. I don't remember anymore. Yeah, Bobby Big Yo. I don't know. <laughs> we're 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 off the rails here. But anyway, you'll you'll if you go back to I'm sure in about ten years, there's only going to be three major conferences, and you and if you go back to Texas Tech, you might get your money. Is what I'm saying. I, I'm not gonna ever go back to Texas Tech. Yeah, Red Raiders they suck. Boo. No, it's really more like Lubbock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Lubbock. Isn't there just the college? Yeah, yeah. they have a Torchy's Taco though. Oh, in Lubbock? Yeah. Get out of town. Torchies is great. It's a very popular taco spot. Yeah. The Torchies fails in Colorado. Uh, Its failure is this. They seem to think that breakfast tacos are only desired on Friday and Saturdays. Whoa. I know. I don't understand. You had me at breakfast taco. It's a Monday. I could do one of those right now. I do breakfast tacos every day if possible. Yeah. But, but, and also Colorado loves the breakfast burrito. Yes, we I do. Don't want we gave burrito. birth to the breakfast burrito. I don't want a burrito. I want three breakfast tacos. Even though that it would equate to a single burrito? Uh, it actually wouldn't because a burrito has a whole slew of tortilla that's unnecessary that I tear off. 
like there are portions of the tortilla that are unused that are just fold, and I'd kind of tear them away. Dan, and cut it. his mic. No, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a decent <laughs> argument against the burrito, but you're not arguing against the burrito. You're arguing against whoever poorly wrapped it. I sure, definitely, that person sure. should be fired because yeah. the breakfast burrito is the single greatest food on earth. I think it's a breakfast taco, but I come from Texas. I I think they're similar. They oh they're almost identical, but it's much easier to eat now. And it's, not, you, and it's not close. Have any of you had a breakfast taco in a hard shell? Oh no! Why would you do that? A hard oh. shell? Yeah. Although so, I what did, if it's a Doritos Los hard shell taco? Get out of town! I'm going to cut your mic. Don't cut <laughs> my mic! I'm the host of the podcast. How I dare you. did have an idea. And I don't understand why pizza places aren't open 24-7, and, or at least in the morning, and offer breakfast pizzas. Because I would totally eat, instead of the red sauce, okay. you do like gravy, and <gasps> it's a biscuit crust, and oh. then you could do bacon and, and some eggs, scrambled eggs on it. That'd be really good, right? How about There's this? A, you I, could do a chicken and waffle one with a waffle crust with syrup and fried chicken There's at on least it. one spot in, in Denver that does breakfast pizzas. I will have to try to see if I can figure it out. I was like seven years ago, legit breakfast pizza. Well, they're clearly I out of business. Want, I think we I make the move. We drop doing podcasts. We uh-huh. stop doing theater. No, no. no hear me out. Okay, we stop sure. doing theater. We open up our own breakfast pizza spot. No. We'll call it MSD. Nope. Not doing it. All right, then. We can sell the idea to somebody. Well, is, I guess it is I our intellectual it property. Away. It's our intellectual property. Well, now it's our intellectual Well, property. how about this? Ghosties, if you go out there and you decide, I'm going to make my own breakfast pizza joint, yeah. please give the three of us a discount. Like maybe, you know, 50% off every time we show up. Or at least just like Monday's free. Monday's free. Yeah. Because, God damn it, breakfast is good anytime, all the time. Okay, so, and not to continue on this pizza thing, but I just got to say... If you did like an English muffin crust <gasps> and then you do an eggs benedict pizza, wow. Oh. Shut the fuck up. I want this now. I would this eat is really the good. hell out of that. Yeah, you would. You would, would you would eat the hell out of that. You would eat the hell out of that. What? Yeah. Can you make that large of a English muffin? Though? I don't know. No, I mean no. Listen, we would we would not go we would not spit in the face of God in terms of doing this. There would definitely be a, an appropriate scale to which we would do this. Like, you're not going to get a 16 inch or a mother load from Pudge Brothers size pizza. Are you saying you would get like a three inch pizza? No, 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 oh. no. There's, there's a scale that we could do this to. Oh, so you've got, got, got your English muffin, right? It's a standard three inch circumference yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I'd say we could bump those numbers up to six, maybe 12. I bet we could bump it up to 18. I mean, yeah, but I, I mean, but I don't want to go. I don't want to go crazy here. Why not? Have you ever seen an English muffin larger than said size Eng- uh, English muffin? Eddie I Lizard. I haven't, but I bet you could just take the dough, right? I mean, I bet it could work. If well, I, I think we need to check with any of the bakers in our audience. Deaf, deaf, definitely. Uh, yeah. Did anyone catch my Eddie Izzard joke? He's an English muffin. <laughs> mm, scrumptious. Me. No, you're not oh. English. <laughs> you're not English. All right, so let's get back to let's get back to talking technical theory. Here. Sure. I want to use all of this, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, aside from me now being starving, we worked together first with um, United Flight two thirty two. Two thirty two. Then we did the rough, mm-hmm. and on the rough we did this thing called Bone Phones. Oh yeah, well that's the other show I directed, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What? First of all. Did you? I can't. I can't remember. This is a legit yeah, question. Sure. 
did you create that I, that technology? Or was that something that you got hip to? to? No, 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 no. Okay, so here's how it began. Um, and it was a show that I direct. Ultimately, I directed it. Um, but it was a, a collaboration with some former grad students of mine at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. We applied to do a show at the Prague Quadrennial. And the Prague Quadrennial is a fest, a theatrical design festival um, that is hosted in Prague, Czech Republic, Ooh. once every four years. Um, and so we applied to the, uh, what's called, they call it the PQ. Uh, we applied to the PQ Performance Festival, where we would then present a show. Our application to this was, the show was called Morning, Noon, Evening, Night. And it was precipitated on the idea that the moment in time when you view something drastically affects your perception of that thing. So when you see something happening at 6 in the morning or at noon or at 6 p.m. or at midnight, then your idea about that thing is going to be very different. Your environment's going to be very very different. You're going to hear different sounds. You're going to see different lighting. It's going to be radically different yeah. uh, all, all, the, all the way through. And then um, one of the students uh, that was... Well, I guess two of the students talked to me about, you know, this idea of bone conduction headphones. And I was like, what are those? And then they got me into it a little bit more and explained it. And just for our audience, so they know, bone conduction headphones are um, essentially wraparound style headphones that go over the tops of your ears. But instead of covering your ear holes or having little buds that slot into your ear, they are pads that rest just in front of your ear on your skull right above where your jaw connects to your skull. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a little bone right there. And they send micro vibrations into your skull that your brain interprets as sound. And basically, what it's doing is it's bypassing the cochlea and activating the the nerves that then send a signal to the brain that it is hearing a sound. So in doing a lot of research and learning about bone conduction headphones and and also practicing with them to kind of see what they sound like and what kind of a range do you have and like what are the high notes like, what are low notes like, um, one of the things I discovered is how much hearing we actually do that we don't actually hear. Um, there are tons of vibrations constantly that our body is recognizing and our brain is turning those vibrations into um, notes that we perceive in our head as being a sound when in fact our ear didn't hear it in any way. Um, to some extent, bone conduction headphones can also help hearing impaired people because they're they're not suffering the issue of the eardrum not functioning correctly. It's actually going it's bypassing that and going directly to the brain, which is pretty interesting. I am not a doctor, so I'm not going to sit there and say that you can like fix hearing problems with bone conduction headphones. But what we decided in this show was that it was a show about two people and they were having disagreements uh, within their relationship. And we did a sound design where we projected the thoughts of those characters 
into the audience through bone conduction headphones while at the same time hearing what they were actually saying with their regular ears. And the audience walked around. We built a mobile sound unit with a battery in the back that powered the transmitter. Uh, the bone conduction headphones were connected to a wireless receiver that sent the signal that received the signal that, you know, so the audience was totally mobile. Uh, in how they did that. And so, yes, to some extent, that was the precursor to the rough, then the rough yeah. uh, which I did not direct at all. Mm. That was all Jess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Nice. And it was such a unique way to have things be heard and to be experienced. I mean, because like, even, especially, I mean, for those of you who didn't, weren't able to go to that show, you were still able to hear things normally. There was just this added piece to that puzzle. And being out there on this golf course, which, I mean, was so easy to light. I, I don't even know why they had you in. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was very dark. It was very dark. <laughs> it was very dark. <laughs> yes. The sun did not set the way we thought it would. No. <laughs> we'll never forgive the sun for that. Or Ra, the sun god. But, you know, I think the most interesting thing about it uh, is, I'm, uh, is the new iteration of these bone conduction headphones and mm -hmm. what I'm doing with that. And I'm working with another colleague at Colorado Mesa who's a dancer and specifically a tap dancer. And Ooh. we are working on a new project uh, that we're calling Terra um, that involves my fascination with listening to people wearing tap shoes in places where they're not supposed to wear tap shoes. Meaning people <laughs> always have tap shoes and they go out onto this specific tap floor and all the tapping sounds all the same. But what's really interesting is when they walk off stage and have to walk on the tile floor and then they cut across this wood thing and then they have to walk across the concrete mm -hmm. and the next thing you know, they're in the dressing room and they can take off their taps, yeah. right? All of those other sounds are amazing. Taps sound awesome on concrete. They're super slick. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's easy to do this. No. But I became really fascinated with taps on different surfaces. But then we also wanted to have a... The other issue I have with watching tap dance and, and seeing it live is that both the sound of the taps and the music is coming at me at the same to the same place, which is my ears. So my ears are, it sets up a competition between hearing the music and hearing the taps. But what if the only thing that you were hearing with your ears through your eardrum were the tap shoes and the music was being sent via bone conduction directly mm. into your head? So now you hear those taps perfectly, exactly as you're supposed to hear them. And so they comp it, it makes a way for you to listen to things in a different way. Mm. Uh, and it's really beautiful and, and it functions really well. Yeah. So uh, before we transition, like you had a question, Dan. Do you, Dan? Yeah, what, um, what was the decision to put the taps, not have the taps be what's going straight into your head and the music be what you're hearing externally? Because if you're watching taps, you're going to hear them. Got it, because the, the visual part. Yeah, I mean, you're... But I mean, they're right there. So it's not like you couldn't hear that. Yeah. I mean, if I put the taps into the bone conduction, my ears would hear both the taps and the taps in the bone conduction. Mm -hmm. yeah. As opposed to, I just keep the ear for taps and the other thing for music because it's not like I have the band there. If it were, if it were a live band, it would probably be very different. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the things, that we, as we've been talking here, you've got 
it feels like you've got this pulse of like technology changes in regards to, I mean, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say yeah, that. I know what it is. Yeah. 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 And you're, well, yeah. I keep up with it. So do you feel that technology makes your job easier or do you feel like there should be a balance between the two? Like, Oh, I mean, I know obviously lights are a form of technology and we can do more with some of the stuff that's coming out. But I mean, you do a lot of different things mm-hmm. from a tech standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, technology is the future of our industry outside of the realm of the actors. Mm-hmm. We will always need the actors, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they're the storytellers. And don't get me wrong, we could do CGI actors, but then you're just watching a movie and they're still doing something and that's not really the same thing, right? We need the liveness of people. Ultimately, our stories are about people. So to have people tell the story of people makes a lot of sense and the connection to people was better. Yeah. But with that being said, technology will change how we see it mm-hmm. and, and what's going to happen and how we view it and... Uh, what's possible. Um, And of course, technology is not going to stop, right? It's going to keep advancing. It's going to keep getting cheaper for this and this and this. I mean, it's why everybody wants to do projection design. Ah, projection design. And don't get me wrong. I've done a lot of projection design and I love doing it. But I'm also like one of the first designers like in the meeting to say, how about we don't do projections, Mm. right? Because I mean, it's got to be right. You have to really commit to it Mm -hmm. and be good at it. Uh, to make it something wonderful. And if you're not going to do that, if you're just going to have a screen in the back, then you might as well just like, I don't know, do a PowerPoint and read from it. Uh, it's it's the same bore. It, it's just boring. It's lame. I've seen it. And well, I don't funny you it. should mention that. I do have an article I'd like to read everybody now. <laughs> Before America. To answer the question about technology, I believe the future of lighting is that all lighting instruments will become projectors. Meaning instead of 80 lights in the air, it will be 80 projectors in the air. Because a projector is a lighting instrument. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all it is, right? Yeah. And so if I can make a round dot of white light, it looks just like a light. You can't tell the difference. I don't know if you saw the opening um, Tokyo uh, oh no! I've, I don't. The opening yeah. ceremonies of the Tokyo. Don't watch Did the you Olympics. See it? No. Okay. So the opening ceremonies in Tokyo, there are these two huge diagonal shafts of light that are like shining on to these athletes, right? That are doing right, running on a treadmill or whatever, mm-hmm. and it looked like two huge shafts of light. No, they were projectors mm-hmm. because they eventually that faded into then dissolving and doing all of these cool swirls and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But it didn't. You didn't know that, yeah. right? So the future is that lighting instruments will go away and they'll just all be projectors. And they'll function like lights. We can make them function just like a light. But in, does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we still need QLab. Uh, QLab will just mod. Okay. They'll just change and develop and continue doing what they're going to do. This is, this is a long way out, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Mind you, <laughs> this isn't like 10 years. This is going to be like 50 years probably. Mm. Just like they were doing theater without lights. Yeah. <laughs> or like, all of a sudden we do them with lights. Or, or even the switch between incandescent and LED. Did right? you see the movie Tombstone? Oh, yeah. One of my favorite things about that movie is I've watched it a zillion times. I'll be now. your Huckleberry? 
Well, I mean, oh, sorry. Of course. Okay. <laughs> Matthew, you and I started a game we never got to finish. The Game for Blood, if I remember correctly. Anyway. I don't remember that movie that good. But well, okay. I, I definitely, I definitely ad-libbed an extension of that line. But anyway. Yeah. It would appear my hypocrisy only goes so far. Um, I know a lot of those lines. Anyway, there's a scene where they're doing Faust. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And this, the, it's so cool because there's this bartender in front of a light with a bottle of bourbon. Mm-hmm. And he's shaking the light, though, the bottle in mm-hmm. front of the light as it pr- plays onto mm-hmm. the screen or onto the under the actors and it makes it look like they're dancing in fire. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I, I, I just love that little piece of ingenuity to this technical application. Like they need the light. Yeah. How can we make it look like fire bottle of bourbon? And now that's changed. Now we actually have lights that can flicker and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. I think it's, and so, I mean, and, and, and I threw in Q lab to, to sound like that's the only technical term I know. <laughs> And sometimes people complain about it. <laughs> so, but anyway, it, it's it's interesting to see how that portion of the job is going to be be changing. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think you're right. Well, you have the I should say in terms of the mindset, like I'm going to come up and I'm going to ask for the most expensive thing the vast majority of the time because a it's going to give me a lot of options. You've got a counterpoint. Uh, not not so much a counterpoint, but it, it, it's not even so much also a technical thing as much as it is just a shift in how we tell our stories. Mm. Um, I think the future of theater, the future of our storytelling will be more customizable. Um, I think people are going to have it. There's going to be an intimacy. I think there's going to be flexibility in the audience making decisions about how the play goes, Mm. uh, about how the story shifts and changes. I think there's a level of improvisation that performers will do. Um, and, And with that, from the technical side of things, like I was saying with my CYA lights, what we will have to have is a smorgasbord of options and we shift as this audience, these three audience member want this one actor to change in some way. So now we're constantly flowing and, and changing and ebbing and flowing uh, with our storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, almost in a game format, but I don't want to call it a game per se. No. But have an impact. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. In the words of DMX, it is not a fucking game. RIP. Rest in peace, DMX. Um, when we get to the stage in the, the podcast, I always ask, what is that ghost light that you wish was left on for you that you'd like to leave on for your next generation? I feel like this is something that you probably offer a lot as a teacher. Mm-hmm. But what's that like f- from this last semester? If they got one thing from you, what's that last piece? I guess, I guess there's so many little tidbits of information, like you said, that I'm constantly trying to give to my students or to say to younger uh, theater professionals um, to sort of, I don't want to say renew their belief that it's going to be okay or that they'll succeed or whatever. Um, But ultimately, the main thing, the thing that I want to leave the ghost light on for, well, first, 
I want to go back to the ghost light. Uh, there's no superstition. It's just a freaking safety mechanism. Just going to put it out there. All right. And then with that being wow. said. I like how we waited an hour <laughs> for you to destroy the entire premise of this podcast. It, but it's not. Throw away the mics. We're done. And here's the safety <laughs> mechanism. Here's the safety mechanism. And that is make the choice. Choose to do it. And if you choose to do it, do it and be good at it and and give it effort and give it your life and give it your all and you can be successful. And if you want that to be monetarily successful, you can make that path. If you if money is your goal, you can make it in in the theater industry. Mm-hmm. If if art is your goal, then make it that. If mm. if just getting hired is your goal, then make it that. But ultimately, just make the decision to do it. Commit. Commit to it. Yeah. Oh, Commit yes. to it. Yeah. So. That's that's great advice. And after you said that, I think I'll never mind. Dan, keep the mics. We'll we'll keep the podcast going. Yeah. It's the it's it's been a, an absolute joy talking to you. You are. Thanks. So much fun to talk to, just as like it's been a pro- been great getting to know you over the last couple of months when we were working together so closely on Land of Milk and Honey. I always feel like you. It's give a fun, shit. and I also had no idea what to expect. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's, that's what I like about the, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like having people on and and just kind of. I literally will ask you one guaranteed question and then riff until I want to end it, and then I ask you the ghost lights question, and that's. That's pretty much what I try to do the entire time. But sometimes we talk about breakfast pizza. Have you ever had bed pizza? Like pizza in my bed? Yes. I don't eat in bed. That's gross. To each their own. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Dan. I I forgot to hit record. We're going to have to start over. (laughs) And on that note, I'm looking for a new producer. Um, I don't really care anymore about Dan. He's dead to me. Um, we've done this a lot tonight, but I think we finally got some good stuff. Matthew Schleif, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go down to the creek and start walking on water. Dan, do the damn thing. Follow-up to that is, mm-hmm. what, should I just start fresh? Start an intro, say, Dan fucked us, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go all, from the beginning. First of all, Dan did not do that, because yes. Dan is a gentle lover. And uh, Wait a second, you what? can be a gentle lover and still fuck somebody. Oh, no, no, absolutely, I'm yeah. a- absolutely, but I'm uh, saying, like, I, I just to... don't want anybody thinking that Dan and I did it because I'm not in a relationship with Dan. No, in a, no, absolutely not. Don't in... worry, Dan doesn't do it unless he's in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, on a side note, I downloaded two of those albums, and they're fucking great. Oh, oh awesome. Yeah. Hypnotic yeah. Brass Hypnotic Ensemble? Brass yeah. Unbelievable. They're I so great. That whole genre great. is great. When is I awesome. listened to the podcast and I heard that song, I was like, that's a fucking cool song. That's a great <laughs> song. It reminds me of this band called Lettuce uh-huh. that I really yeah. like. Yeah. So. Dan really loves Lettuce. Yeah. Oh, great. Thank <laughs> you.